Hello, everybody. This is your girl, Donna D, a.k.a. The Urban Mommy, and I am back with another podcast. Today, I have Miss Stephanie Jordan with me, and we are going to be talking all about boundaries. Boundaries are super important, and by the end of this video, you will understand why they're important, why you need to set them, how you can set them, and everything else about it. So welcome, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Good, great. Can you tell everybody who Stephanie is? Well, my name is Stephanie Jordan, and I am a mom of five amazing kids. And I came into adulthood a hot, stinking mess, and I had to learn a lot of hard lessons. I am a hairstylist, author, teacher, speaker, and I love to ride my Harley Davidson Sportster 48 as often as I can. And so life is an adventure. There's no such thing as a dull moment. <laughs> okay. So you talk about most difficult lessons that you learned. What was one of the most, you say you learned many. What was one of the most difficult lessons that you learned? Um, to love myself and to forgive myself and to forgive God. And all of that kind of came along with boundaries, because when we tend to make a lot of bad decisions, we get ourselves in a lot of uh, interesting situations. <laughs> Very extremely. Okay. So I know you said you're an author. What is yes. your book about? So my book is called Believing in Boundaries, and it is basically... Um, I touch on three topics. I touch on cultural boundaries, faith practice boundaries, and relationship boundaries. And I believe that God established boundaries in creation and God established boundaries in relationships. And so as image bearers of God, it's really important for us to also establish boundaries in our relationships. So my book kind of carries you through the understanding of how God set boundaries and that they are very important for us. And then it gives you, um, then I travel through like cultural boundaries and just some of the hot topics that are out there today and then relationship boundaries everything from parents and children to your bosses and then uh or employees and then faith practice boundaries just about um you know being very careful to like put pastors and stuff on pedestals and not letting your politics get ahead of yourself and things like that so what is an example of a cultural boundary so cultural boundaries, um, for example, um, there's a lot of cultural push, right? Think this way, do this, behave. You know, you have to, you have to agree with me to uh, be okay with me and that sort of stuff. So with cultural boundaries, you take the time to say, okay, what do I really think and feel about this situation? and then set what works for you around it. So um, I'll try and take a mild one, right? Like um, the way people dress, right? Is a cultural push. Like you have to look this way. You need to look like that. Like plastic surgery is out the wazoo right now, right? Like implants here and implants there and like get injections on this and get injections on that. We'll say maybe you're not comfortable with any of that, right? Um, but you feel this cultural push. You're seeing it on all of your Instagrams. The way you look is really important to you. And so you feel all this pressure. Well, you can sit there and say, okay, I agree with this. I don't agree with that. I feel comfortable with this. I don't feel comfortable with that. And then you work around that. So if on your Instagram, you're feeling all of this pressure to go and get plastic surgery that you don't agree with, well, then you start unfollowing people. And that's a boundary that you're setting for yourself. So that's so, kind of like a mild example. So should you, I'm sorry, should you cut, like stop following certain people if you, you know, if they make you feel certain, some kind of way? Yes, definitely. The unfollow or block button can be your big, 
your best friend on socials here. Like my rule is, is I may not be able to be your friend on social media. That doesn't mean I can't love you in person. And I've even sent people messages before that was like, Hey, I'm going to unfollow your page, this and this and that for this reason. Um, I still love you. And if we see each other out or if we want to go and hang out, I still am interested in doing that. I just can't be engaged in your social media page. Why do you feel it important to explain it to them? Um, because so think of boundaries like a fence, right? So you can see a fence around somebody's backyard. And I think having the conversation can make your boundaries more genuine. And it also opens the door to having genuine conversation with somebody. Um, so if somebody is building a fence around their backyard. Nobody is like, Oh my gosh, how rude. I can't believe they just built a fence around their backyard. You know, right? <laughs> they're like, Oh, great. They've got a fence. Awesome. Um, because people understand that's your private space, that, that that space belongs to you. And so I think that, um, if we will begin to look at boundaries as setting fences around our private space, then we don't feel like we're violating somebody with them. Okay. A lot of times we go through life and we don't actually know the term for what we're going through, especially people, I'm going to say 25 and up. We didn't have terms with, you know, that explained everything. So how old were you? Or do you remember when you first learned about boundaries? Yeah. So that's, that's, so true. Oh my goodness. That's so true. Okay. So I was married to an alcoholic. I married an alcoholic when I was 21 years old. Um, I grew up with teetotaling parents. I had never been around alcohol until I was hanging out with punk rockers in my teen years and everybody pretty much drank. There were very few in our group that didn't drink. And so I didn't really think it was that big of a deal. I didn't drink but I was around everybody that did. And so, um, I married this guy that was an alcoholic and I had no idea how that affected my life or marriage and how I played into the cycle. So we ended up divorced and I remarried and, um, my husband had a relapse on drugs. And like our life was just in total chaos. And so I started going to an Al-Anon group. And of course I went to the Al-Anon group because I needed to learn how to fix him. What's Al-Anon group? Al-Anon. Um, so it's like Alcoholics Anonymous for family members. So okay. it's for the family of addicts and alcoholics. Okay. And, um, and I mean, it was rude, girl, because they told me I had problems. <laughs> I hate when they do that. I know. <laughs> he had problems. I had it all together. Right? Um, and that was when I first learned my part of the sixth cycle, my, my codependency and how that played into this sixth cycle of addiction. And so that was my first introduction really to boundaries and understanding boundaries. And I guess I was about 26, 27 at this time. Okay. So, so that means as you were growing up, you didn't really know about boundaries. You didn't, cause we, when we were growing up, whatever the parents did, we pretty much just had to accept it cause that, they were our parents. But That's now, yes people know that some things shouldn't be accepted. It is kind of a hard thing to understand cross generations because sometimes I still find myself like not so much disagreeing, but like not understanding like the youth. I'm like, just do it. That's the rules, you know? But it's like, you know, they're setting boundaries and they're saying, no, I'm not going to do this. That's not how that goes. And then the parents change it you know so it's, yeah. it's just different that is so true I think that's a great point um I definitely think my kids are better at being like ah no 
than I was mm -hmm. as a teen. And I still struggle. Like, I call myself a puppy sometimes because I just love people. So I'm like, woo woo, give me all the people, you know? And, um, and I can have a really hard time backing out of relationships or situations that I need to get away from at times because I'm like, you know, I love you, right? right. That's me. <laughs> yep. So what advice do you have for someone like yourself, me? <laughs> so um, assessing your emotional state with the relationship, right? So, um, on my online course, I have an online course for boundaries as well that you can get on my website. Um, one of the things I'll talk about is time, energy, and money. So if somebody is absorbing your time and you feel exhausted after you've dealt with them, then that's kind of a red flag to use a popular term on like, okay, how much time do I need to spend with this person? And I think one of the uh, problems that like our generation has is that we feel um, like if we're not hanging out with somebody because they want to hang out, that we're somehow rejecting them. And that's just not real. And what I have learned through setting boundaries is that once you can say no and you realize it's not personal rejection, you can accept a no and realize that it's not personal rejection. And so it really starts with being able to say no. So if, if that friend wants to hang out and they just exhaust you and you've been busy and you've had more on your plate, you're going to tell them, no, no, I can't hang out. And they'll be like, oh girl, you're always available to hang out. Why can't you hang out? And you're like, because this time I just can't. And it just starts there. And then when you realize like, oh, Huh. I just reserved some of my emotional time. Mm -hmm. I just, I just saved myself from a night of feeling totally exhausted. Then you start realizing that you're loving yourself instead of abusing yourself. Mm. Because when you give away something you don't have, you're really being abusive to yourself. And that is kind of the beauty of when you start setting boundaries. You're like, oh, this is what loving on myself looks like. Right. It's more than self-care. That's exactly right. A bath is not going to regenerate your emotional energy. I can tell you that. Exactly. Okay. So if we're talking about relationships, boundaries and relationships, what do you suggest like someone who may have some kind of insecurities and sometimes they may feel that putting boundaries down may, you know, be looked at unfavorably by the other spouse? What do you suggest? So that is a super complex um, topic. I'll try and break it down a little bit into some bite-sized pieces. So every relationship um it really starts with you healing yourself mm. when you're talking about relational boundaries so saying no is always an appropriate boundary no i do not no you don't even have to explain it just no um so that is the beginning of boundaries but every relationship has its own complexity so your relationship with your parents has its own complexity your spouse your kids and so really starting to heal yourself is critical because you'll set better boundaries without trying to manipulate the other. Mm. So I think one confusion um, people have about boundaries is that they feel like they can set boundaries to force somebody else to behave a certain way. And that is not what boundaries is about at all. Boundaries are never about controlling the other person. Boundaries are only about setting what works for you. Mm. So in a marriage situation, you have to look at you and your spouse as one flesh, right? And one person. So boundaries become a little bit more complicated in a marriage relationship than it would in like a parent and child relationship. So with your spouse, the, 
the the goal is to always draw near always draw closer so if you were setting a boundary in place um that pushes your spouse out you might need to revisit that boundary and go okay what am i self-protecting here from my spouse um but if you are in a very abusive relationship or a very unhealthy relationship with your spouse, you may have to set extremely hard boundaries. I mean, even to the point of separation with your spouse, because you can't, you cannot work with somebody that just doesn't care about you. So it depends on the health of the marriage on what level your boundaries will be. But let's say, for example, um, you buy too many shoes and you know, you buy too many shoes, right? Mm-hmm. And it creates constant frustration between you and your spouse. And you're like, but I work hard. I deserve to be able to buy my shoes whenever I want. But your spouse is like, but we can't even store your shoes anymore. They're billowing out of every closet, right? So then you have to assess, okay, what about me feels like I deserve to buy these shoes? What am I trying to fulfill within myself that I'm buying these shoes? So that's the healing process, right? And then you have to say, okay, am I pushing my husband away or am I drawing him nearer to me? Well, if buying shoes is a constant source of contention between you, then you're pushing your spouse away. Mm. So then you have to reassess and say, okay, how can I heal this situation and set boundaries that work for me, but also consider him? And then you can say, okay, babe, what if every time I purchase a pair, I get rid of a pair? Would that make you feel better? And if he's like, yeah, that's great. I feel like that's a much better, you know, solution. Then that's what you roll with. And those are boundaries. You just set boundaries about around a situation that worked for you and drew you closer and nearer to your spouse. And then let's say maybe your spouse is um, an alcoholic. And when you got married, um, similar situation to me you knew he drank but you didn't realize what alcoholism really meant and you try coming to him and you're like look your alcohol your drinking scares me like I have fear when you get to this level of drunk and he's like you know I don't care basically I'm gonna keep doing it then you start setting like time frame boundaries and say okay um I've shared my feelings with you, but you obviously can't respect the way that I feel. So I know that you start drinking on Friday nights and you don't stop until Sunday. So on the weekends, I am removing myself from our home and I will not be back until Monday. And um, you do that for, you know, say I'm going to do that for one month. And if you... um don't feel like that is is working for you I am telling you I cannot remain in this situation do you get what I'm saying so like you're not telling him he can't drink because you can't control that that's trying to control another person all you're saying is what you can and cannot be around based on what makes you comfortable or uncomfortable right and so if he won't honor that so after that month passes and you say okay this has not helped you understand that I can't, I don't feel safe with you. And you feel like this is giving you a license to party on the weekends because I'm not here. This would be my next step. And eventually if he just refuses to acknowledge your feelings and your thoughts, he doesn't care for you. He just Mm. doesn't care for you. And that's what you have to assess is, can I live with someone that doesn't care for me? And what are the I reasons don't... that some women usually do that? I'm sorry, what did you say? I was saying, what do you think are the reasons that some women continue to stay in situations where the spouse doesn't care? Uh, there's a plethora. Money, 
money is probably the primary and hoping that they will yeah you know we want to be loved and we want to be chosen and we want the person that we love to choose us but unfortunately sometimes they don't choose us and we have to learn to accept that they are not choosing us and that's where healing comes becomes so important is because when we realize that they're not choosing us we choose ourselves Mm, okay so you look really young and i saw in your bio that you are a widow how old i'm sorry to hear that how old were you when you became a widow i was 37 when my husband passed away oh wow yes so i know that's a huge moment um i've dealt with a lot of loss as well but how do you do that but still maintain your your personality you seem very sweet and upbeat because of something like that usually breaks people like all the way down how do you remain so positive it, it's all god god is the only reason i didn't kill myself god is the only reason i did not lose it um the, my my oldest son sometimes he's like mom can you give me some advice some advice that doesn't include god and i'm like i'm all out i'm right. all out i don't have anything else yeah. Um, trying it my own way left me empty, you know, trying yeah. it my own way left me grasping and desperate. And, um, God really stepped in. I had five kids. My oldest was 13. I had a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, a two-year-old, an eight-month-old when he passed. Oh my and um, I owned a salon storefront at the time. I had a company, I had a ton of employees and um, my body paid for it. My adrenals blew out, my endocrine system blew out. And I've really, um, since 2019, so the last four years, I've really had to work on healing myself. Um, and it- I know it's difficult because in, in addition to healing yourself, you also have to remain strong and help your five kids to grieve and heal. So boundaries. <laughs> right. <laughs> boundaries were the saving grace for me. So um, I, I put a lot of boundaries around a lot of things. I had so much fatigue um, for the first year after my husband passed away. I could not drive outside of 30 minutes from my house um, Mm. because I'd fall asleep at the wheel. I kept peppermint essential oils um, on the dash of my car all the time so that I could inhale peppermint because peppermint wakes you up. Um, So I could inhale peppermint driving and um, I could go long stretches without even remembering that I drove that far. Um, so I just had to be very careful and I, I I was on the road all the time because I had five kids and life and all that sort of stuff, but I didn't go out of a 30 mile radius, um, for nearly a year. And so it was things like that. If things weren't helpful, you know, if people, We're like, oh, I want to help you do this, but I need you to do this and this and this. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm all out. Don't even waste your time. You know, like I just, there was only, there was no more capacity. And so I really just enclosed my life a lot during that time. And um, I didn't, um, I didn't take like I didn't focus on friendships or any of that. I lost people through that time because I just had no emotional energy to invest. So it was a lot. It was, it was a lot. So how, how did you get better? Was it other than boundaries? Like, was it therapy, medication? What helped you? Um, I did do grief counseling for a year and I also did this grief group. The group was super beneficial. Um, it's called Grief Share. 
and you can look them up online. They'll be at a church somewhere. So if you're going through grief of any kind, they talk about suicide. They talk about death of a parent, child, spouse, um, murder, all sorts of um, different types of losses. It goes through all of them. And that group was incredible um, and helping me process through. But it, it took years. I really don't feel like I woke up until last year from um, from my widowhood journey. Like, so I was over seven years in before I felt like I kind of woke up and became myself again. Wow. So just going on that and thinking about that, if you had someone to come to you, to ask you for advice because they recently lost their spouse, what would you tell them? So interesting that you say that. If I see a widow on Facebook, I will actually reach out through Messenger to try and speak with them just to help support them. Mm -hmm. Um, Because what happens in your brain as a widow is like wackadoo. Um, So much happens that you never think Like you can't even fathom until you're in that situation, right? So some of my first key suggestions are one, rest. Because grief is a full encapsulation of mind, emotions, spiritual, and physical. Your body will feel like you have been in a car accident. Your mind will be nearly shut down to where you can't even hardly think. Um, Of course, you go through an existential crisis on like, God, where are you in this? You may be angry. You may be just utterly devastated, but your spiritual relationship takes a blow. And, um, And of course, your emotions can be all over the place. You can be laughing one minute, crying the next. You may be laughing and crying simultaneously. (laughs) It's really a crazy journey. Um, So resting, just giving yourself that space to rest and then journaling. Um, Especially if it's a spouse, you don't realize how much you talk to your spouse and just decompress your days every day. Um, it could be something like, oh my gosh, I broke another egg on the kitchen floor, right? Um, all the way to talking about your kids and what they're going through and what's happening. And so what that those thought process, processes start to dam up and then they start to build up inside you and that can be very taxing. So if you'll journal every day and just talk to your spouse. So I journaled every day for a year and just told him whatever I would have told him. Like I paid the power bill late this month or, you know, today I stumped my toe on the side of the bed and I cussed for 10 minutes. <laughs> you know? um, and some days I would cuss him out just like I would have when he was alive, you know, I'm angry at you. How dare you die on me? You know, it could be whatever is on your mind, but just journaling is so important. Talking through what, through your days when you lose a spouse is huge. And what about for the kids? What, how did you help them? Um, so because I had, um, my 13 year old went into total chaos and trauma Uh, I did not think I was going to survive that. Um, We did anger management with him. Um, I tried everything under the sun to find a place to send him. Nobody would take him. Um, So that was a very hard experience. And there again, the grace of God is how we are both still alive. (laughs) (laughs) Um, my nine-year-old, my seven-year-old, they grieved in their own ways. My seven-year-old quit eating anything but ramen noodles. <laughs> and I told him he, if, if you could turn into a food, he would be a ramen noodle. I think he ate only ramen noodles for probably two years. <laughs> Sound like my kids. <laughs> uh-huh. And, um, that was just, and he needed lots of hugs. He, he just 
would just come up to me just constantly and hug me. And um, so I just let him process through him through his own way. Um, my nine-year-old, she pulls into herself when she's processing. So I would go to her room sometimes and just ask her, like, how are you doing? And do you have anything you want to talk about? And, you know, he's always been, my late husband, Jay, has always been a constant conversation in the house. Um, they openly saw me grieve and cry because I felt like they needed to know that it was okay to grieve and cry. They would hear me sobbing. Um, I'm actually about to put out my book called The Death Tsunami um, by the end of this year. That's about my journey into widowhood. Oh, that's definitely something I want to uh, read. Thank you. Um, and then interestingly, my two-year-old, my eight-month-old, they were so young when he passed away that their grieving didn't start. Um, it's called delayed grief. Mm. So they were probably about four and five when they started doing their grieving processes. And um, they would just weep sometimes, like out of nowhere. Like hmm. it would just start sobbing and I would be like, what's going on? And they're like, I miss my dad. Wow. And I would be like, it's okay to miss your dad. You know, he loves you. He would be here with you if he could. You know, he adored you. And, you know, we'll look at pictures sometimes. And um, when the two-year-old was little, we would watch some videos with her. But I try not to saturate the kids in videos. And I'll tell you why. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that God revealed to me is that the brain cannot see somebody alive and then filter that they're dead so that's how people still fall in love with like uh, Marilyn Monroe and Elvis Presley and uh, Michael Jackson and you know any of the stars that have passed away is because they'll saturate themselves in these videos mm. and so the brain sees them alive and equates that with them being alive and that um that's a real mind screw if you will because they're not alive right and so um i was very careful with how much video content that I would let them watch because of that reason. I needed their brains to understand that he was dead. That he was gone. Mm -hmm. Wow. And of course, religion, God helped with most of everything that you had to deal with. Because I'm sure that's where you found all of your strength. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, he was an ever, ever close presence with with us in our situation and just um i couldn't have done it without my relationship with god absolutely not okay so do do you journal about other things like do you journal every day or was it just for dealing with grief from your husband so i've always been a writer my whole life i've always written um so the hand the you know getting out and doing handwriting is such a huge process for my brain. Um, so I do prayer journals a lot where I, I'm praying to God just in written form. And I've done that for years and years, but the one with Jay was very concentrated. I would write to him just like I was talking to him. Okay. Do you believe in manifest manifestation? Uh, specify that a little bit more. Okay, so a lot of people now, they believe that if you speak things into existence, it can come to you. So do you believe that people manifest things now? Or that they can? Okay, so I believe that hum all humans are made in the image of God, right? Mm -hmm. And that we have the power of life and death in our tongues. Um, 
So we are extremely powerful human beings, but our purpose is to be powerful for God, not for ourselves. So I believe that um, if we are speaking things to exist that serve us, we are using our gifting in a corrupted form. If we are using things to speak for God's kingdom and to build God's kingdom, then we are in line with what he says. So, yes, I believe that you can manifest things, but your motive will be judged by God. And that is what you need to be very careful with. Yes. (laughs) I remember watching something on, I think, Facebook or something, and it was saying that they replaced, they tried to replace prayer with manifestation and they replaced God with the universe. They, instead of saying God, they'll say the universe. So that's why I was asking. I wanted to know how you felt about that. But you yeah. went back to biblical. So that pretty much is the same thing. Prayers. Yeah, I think um, I, I firmly believe in witchcraft and I firmly believe in the spirit realm. Mm-hmm. And I believe that you absolutely can make yourself an enemy of yourself mm. by using your power as an image bearer to manifest or build a selfish realm for yourself. And yeah, it absolutely can work because mm-hmm. God gave us that power. He gave us... so. We have authority and dominion over all of the earth. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is we have an enemy on this earth that hates us because we're made in God's image, right? You can't, you can't get away. You can serve the devil all you want, but you can't get away from the fact that he hates you because you're made in God's image and he's God's enemy. So, Mm -hmm. um, so if you're self-serving, if you're using that power, that gifting of your authority and dominion and the power of life and death being in your tongue as a way to self-serve, to build your kingdom, um, Satan loves that mess. And he's probably more than happy to help you out along the way because he knows that you're selling your soul for that right. trash, right? Right. Um, and, but don't... I don't want you to, um, or I don't want to leave out the fact that I do believe in like speaking healing, um, mm-hmm. but you're doing it through the authority of Jesus, not your own authority. Does that right. make sense? Right. So it all goes back to motive, right? Like, what is your motive? Am I, am I trying to build the kingdom of God here or am I self-serving here? Mm-hmm. So I believe the motive is, is the key matters. There. Yes. yes. How old were you when you remember finding God? Um, so I got saved when I was a young girl, um, and God has always taught to me. I've always had prophetic knowledge, but I'm really stubborn and I like to have my own way. (laughs) And so, um, I lived for myself for a really long time. And Proverbs says, a foolish man will have a fill of himself. And buddy, did I. Um, (laughs) Which came in the form of marrying an alcoholic that God told me not to marry. And I had a fill of myself. So I was in my mid-20s when I really started living for the Lord and like pursuing that relationship on my own accord and getting to know God um, personally. And I call like reading your Bible, like your grill out time with God. That's how you get to know him is you grill out with him. You're just hanging out. You're just talking. You're hearing the stories just like you do when you have a grill out at your house. You know, that's how you get to know people, right? So that's like what reading the Bible is. That's your grill out time with God. And then prayer is your intimacy. Prayer is like your late night conversations, you know, your makeout sessions. Like that's what prayer is. That's like your intimate, intimate time. So both of those together really will give you just this great, fruitful relationship with God where he really can just work in your life. 
and he'll scare the fire out of you because everything he'll tell you will counter what you think or feel. <laughs> right. Exactly. Okay. How old were you when you got divorced? Um, so I got married in 99 at 21. We divorced in 2003. So I was 23 when we got divorced. And then um, I remarried my late husband in 2004. So 2003 to 2004, how, how did you allow yourself to love again and be able to be loved again? Oh, girl, I went into that marriage a hot mess. <laughs> Wait, oh. the second marriage? Uh-huh. Um, so here's the problem with divorce. Divorce um, beats you up. Um, divorce does a lot of really awful damaging things to your heart. Um, so God called me into my marriage with my late husband, um, he delivered me from my marriage with my first husband. It took two years. So we married in 99. We separated in 2001. I had my oldest son in December of 2001. That was his son. Mm -hmm. And um, and then he beat me up when I was pregnant. Oh, wow. And so I left him um, in the middle of my pregnancy. And then I never lived with him again after that. But I told God, I said, look, I made a vow and a covenant and I'll stay married to this man for the next 40 years if that's what you want me to do. But I will never live with him again. Mm. And but if you can find it in your grace and mercy, please deliver me. And so two years later, he delivered me in 2003 and we divorced in August of 03 and um, I had no interest in finding anybody, getting married. Um, and then two weeks after my divorce went through, I ran into Jay um, and he just pursued my heart. He dated me for months without me dating him. I even told him that I was not interested <laughs> <laughs> and he just kept right on dating me anyway. And, um, and when I say that, I mean, like we had a ministry together, we did a lot of stuff together, but I would, we were not going on dates because I was not dating and he just pursued my heart. And then God called me into that marriage and that man loved me more than anybody on the planet. And he was such a pain in my ass. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. How, how did you know that he loved you? And how did you know that it was different from the first husband? Uh, well, one, he never drank. He knew I was terrified um, of alcohol. Um, it's okay. Let me rephrase that. Having a drink every so often is fine. Getting drunk on a regular basis or getting drunk past control? No. And so Jay never drank more than maybe one beer every so often. Or like we might share a margarita if we went to lunch somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like, But he never, he always honored the fact that that was such a um, uncomfortable place for me. Yeah. And then he also... Um, you know, like all through my pregnancies, he was always so excited. We had four kids together. So my oldest is by my ex-husband and the other four are mine and Jay's. He raised my oldest just like his own. Um, my oldest dad was not in the picture for the majority of his life. And um, he treated him. I mean, he called him son. He, there was like no difference between him and our other kids. And, um, he just, he never gave up even when we wanted to, he never gave up. And I'll tell you the summer before he died. Um, so we came out of 2013 agreeing to get divorced because we were so tired of each other. <laughs> um, and 
then I found out I was pregnant with baby number five right mm-hmm. after New Year's of mm-hmm. 2014. And we are both like waving our wily Coyote white flag of defeat. You know, we're like, goodness. And that summer, he started praying with my other kids that God would heal the little girl, the broken little girl inside of me. Mm. And eight months after he died, God honored that prayer. And God miraculously healed our marriage. We were doing the best we had ever been doing when he passed away. And um, he always chose me. He always chose me. There, We dropped friends that tried to get in between our marriage. We dropped parents if they were trying to get in, in between our marriage. Like There was just nothing, nothing that either of us was going to allow to come in between the two of us. And he just always consistently chose me and And that's a blessing in itself just having someone to choose you that's big it was huge I didn't even realize that that's what I needed Mm. you know what I mean until it happened Mm. yeah sometimes it's like when people ask you what is love sometimes you don't really know how to say what is love but you know how to say what's not love yeah just like the situation which you said you didn't even know you needed it until you got it. You're like, what is this? This is different. Yes. And I would encourage you ladies that if you have a man that chooses you consistently, look, I was so ungrateful having that because I didn't, one, I didn't even know that's what it was, right? Mm-hmm. And two, I didn't even know that's what I needed. But I can tell you from being on the outside after losing that, Mm-hmm. It will wreck you mm. when it's gone. And so if you have it and your man is choosing you and he is choosing you well, choose him back well. Love him well. Encourage him and honor him. I can tell you this. You will never regret one moment that you were kind, that you kissed him, that you honored him, that you served him. You will only regret all the times you were catty and ungrateful and short and aggravated. That stuff you'll regret, but you'll never regret any moment of loving him well. Hmm. That's deep. (laughs) That was deep. (laughs) Um... That kind of messes up my other question because it's going to change the mood. But that was really <laughs> sweet. Michael, I might just go ahead and exit anyway. So my question was, do you think that most men are cheaters? Oh, oh, that's so good. <laughs> I think most men, um, I think our world, our American culture does not fulfill men well anymore. I believe that men are meant to be wild. I believe that men are meant to be blowing things up and hanging out with each other and killing animals. And I really don't think they're meant to be as tame as we want them to be. Mm. Um, So I think if they find themselves cheating, be it um, with another woman or be it with emotionally disconnecting, I think that it's their inability to find satisfaction in what they are created and designed to be on purpose. So I think if a man finds himself taking advantage of his wife, right? And cheating on his wife. One, he is a fool because God says to find a good wife is a gift. And I can tell you, if you give somebody a gift and they take advantage of it, you're less likely to give them more gifts, right? Yep. So God's not going to keep giving you good women if you can't take care of them. And so... Um, I think he just has not found what his purpose is. And so his, his pursuit heart is genuine. The way he's pursuing 
is corrupted. Mm. So if he could find a, a healthier God-driven way to use that pursuing heart, then he would be super fulfilled and super happy and he would never desire the other stuff. Okay. All right. So if you can go back and talk to 17 year old Stephanie, what would you tell her about life? I'd be like, girl, you're so dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think I would tell her to be patient to quit pushing everything to be her way. Because Stephanie, your way sucks. <laughs> um, and I would tell her to be patient, to look at a bigger picture and not get stuck in the moment. Um, I'm a hopeless romantic. So everything to me is always about art, sex, love, beauty, pattern, color. You know, I love that stuff. And so I get swept up in moments of, of what I create something to be in my brain. And then it's not that at all. And I'm just left sorely disappointed. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. That's good advice. So (laughs) that's usually how we end our show, but I also want to give you a chance to let everyone know how they can purchase your books and how they can keep up with you. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so you can find my books on Amazon, uh, Believing in Boundaries by Stephanie Jordan. Uh, my website is www.thestephaniejordan.com. And you can kind of find all the information about me is there and what's coming up when my book is posted. All of that sort of stuff will be um, on my website I'm on Instagram at the Stephanie Jordan and on Facebook at the Stephanie Jordan. So come follow me. Let's talk. Definitely. Well, I'm going to put that down. You guys, I hope you all follow Stephanie. I hope you all support her. She has a great story. Um, She's an awesome mom. She's a widow. Um, She does a lot. She's like, I think she's an author. She does it all. And when, once you follow her, you will see that she has a beautiful spirit. And if you're just listening, um, she's a, like I said, she has a beautiful spirit, a wonderful personality. That's why I'm, it's, it's amazing to know that you've been through so much, but you can continue to smile like that. So thank kudos you. to you. And of course, thank you so much for giving us your time, Stephanie. And thank you all for staying. And I hope you all were touched. And if the Lord says the same, I will see you all next week. Anything, Stephanie? Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you, listeners, for hanging out with us. And I'm just, I'm honored to be here. Thank you for letting me come. Perfect. Thank you. Have a good day.